Hi, and welcome to My Gaming Academia, a podcast where we discuss gaming as it relates to psychology and sociology. I'm Reza, a.k.a. Sprintspeed. I'm Javon, a.k.a. Jay Stoney. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. Hysteric. And today we have the amazing, talented John Diaz. Now, let me explain how I discovered this amazing person right here that we have today. I was watching virtually the Game Devs of Color Expo, and John was basically talking about how he got into game development. And then eventually I followed him through Twitter, and then through Twitter I was just like, huh, this man seems really open and candid about uh, his experience and, and sharing his knowledge. And so I eventually was just like, I think he'll be good for the podcast, but I don't know him. Oh, well, so I just <laughs> took the plunge and just sent out this tweet. And I was like, hi, my name is like, it was like the hard sell. Like it's a thick paragraph, right? Yep. Like, hi, my name is Javon Gore. I'm a this, 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 this. I have this podcast about this, 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 this. <laughs> I discovered you at this, 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 this. And I believe it was like the hard sell. And then he was like, all right, cool, man. I was like, all right, we good. <laughs> <laughs> so John, Midway, right? Rockstar Games, WB Games Montreal. You worked on Amazon on their Lumberyard game engine, and you currently work for EA. Is there anything else I'm possibly missing from your very extensive resume? Those are all the places that have paid me to do the damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Uh, And this is episode 16 the mentality of working in game development featuring the illustrious John Diaz, as you've just kind of gone over. So um, I know Javon kind of went through some spoilers here, but um, I, I guess it'd be useful to kind of hear a quick overview of um, from your perspective of just kind of jumping into the game industry. Um, I know from college, you kind of started some of those, some of the journey there. And then jumping around to different companies and these days working and you've been working at a few behemoths in the game development. Yeah, man, uh, for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take it um, and say I'll, I want to throw my handle out there. You guys have badass handles. So I'll say, <laughs> yo, yeah, I'm John, a.k.a. L. Kingpin. Um, that's that comes from college, man. That's like oh, nice. to <laughs> Wilson Fisk. You know, I, I think I'm a I'm a pretty even keeled nice guy so i always latch on to like evil crime lords as like my (laughs) alternate persona nice for sure and so like i know you guys play fighting games so so bison is my main usually in any street fighter you know fong fong in street fighter 5 he was a nice alt uh i gotta say all like as soon as like you said bison all i could think was like yes Yes! <laughs> Shadow Lou in the house. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, man. I love my turtle charge characters, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I think you guys covered it. Thank you so much. I'm super hyped to be here, hanging in with you, with Eric, Javon, Reza. Uh, really enjoy the content you guys put out. I want to say episode twelve. <laughs> when you guys are talking about Captain Crunch and hundred hour work weeks, that thing oh, hit yeah. home hard body. You know, I was just there like PTSD and like it's like, <laughs> yo, they they know, they know. Yeah. Um secrets out. But uh yeah, I, I would love to just do a quick a quick fly through for people that don't know. Um I think I you know, I'm I'm 
first generation American. You know, both my parents emigrated from DR, Dominican Republic. I grew up in New York City. And um, so, you know, East Coast, there's a lot of love here, right? Uh, and pretty much, you know, being, you know, when you, when you when you're a child of immigrants, they try to push you to like, hey, you're gonna be a doctor, or you're gonna be an uh-huh. engineer, or you're gonna be some high paying job that you know we slave to bring you here to learn and study for, and or all the entertainers I saw on TV at the time was like you know sports athletes or rappers mm-hmm. or something like right. that. So it was like, all right, super glamorized. Exactly right. So it's like all right, this this is what I have to choose from. This is my like RPG, and these are my different classes <laughs> that I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really, uh, you know, grew up enjoying all types of video games, right? Like NES, Legend of Zelda, Mario, SNES, right? That's when kind of Final Fantasy and RPGs came into, into my life. And then, um, N64, you know, a lot of 3D games, um, and really never even considering that, this is a career, right? I'm just playing these games. Yeah. And I think it was GTA three. I was probably like 15, 16, maybe a little, maybe a little younger. Um, I saw in the back of the instruction book, they had a, uh, an email or they were taking like tester positions. Right. And so I definitely wrote a hand typed out letter at whatever age I was saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And you guys are in New York. So I'm interested. What can I do? How can I get there? Right. Never. Oh, heard, yeah. Never heard anything back. <laughs> right. And and don't blame them at all. They, they're super busy making, you know, probably Vice right. or San Andreas. Uh, so I eventually went to uh, SUNY Stony Brook. Right. It was a state school. I knew that computers was the thing that kept my attention long enough right i knew that on this device i can do something i could make something amazing something compelling this is the way forward and basically if you look through any college manual back in the day there was two curriculums with computer in the name there was like computer science and there was computer engineering and going Mm -hmm. back to the things that my parents kept pumping into my head subliminally, right? Like engineer, engineer, engineer. It's like, all right, computer engineering, that's going to be my course of study. I went to a handful of years really struggling, right? Like uh, it was one of those things where academics was came pretty easy to me. Mm -hmm. Then in college, it was a totally different ball game, right? Lots of free time to just discover yourself and hang out. Yeah. (laughs) Do whatever, live life without your parents for once. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm and I abuse that. I misuse that time like crazy, right? Because it's just like, I mean, the, didn't we all? <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, how? Yeah, how was it for you guys? Right? Like, was the was the major that you guys picked the one that you stuck with? Uh, on my end, it did end up sticking uh, in that. So I studied psychology mm-hmm. and graduated with that, and I really enjoy the field overall, but. Definitely, like, along the way, I was uh, looking more at kind of, like, a pure academic route, maybe going to, like, PhD professorship, uh, that kind of ordeal, or maybe, like, clinical psychology therapy stuff. But along the way, I mean, I just, uh, just getting more of a feel for what the actual work would look like and what the day-to-day is like, I definitely kind of 
decided to veer more uh, off into the corporate path. So that's kind of where I ended up. Bet, bet. Yeah. But, yeah. What about, what about you guys? Um, for me, I did choose to go into computer science in the beginning. Uh, but then around like my freshman year, I took like a sociology course, like introduction sociology course. And it just blew my mind. Right. Mm. And so I struggled for a while of like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll just keep doing computer science. Maybe I'll keep doing with that. But I, you know, I just kept, kept having these back and forth conversations in my head and my aunt, she was just like, okay, why do you want to do computer science? I was like, okay, for this, this, and this. And she's like, okay, why do you want to do sociology? I was like, well, it got this, 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 these things. This is also interesting. She's like, there you go. There just you go. But I was nervous, right? Because, <laughs> because just like you, John, I also felt that, okay, like computer science, there are definitely trajectories to go into, right? The Googles, mm-hmm. your Microsoft, all that stuff. I'm like, what do you do with a social degree? Like, so I was, I was nervous. I'm like, I don't know what this means. Uh, eventually, I just say, you know what? I'm going to just take the plunge. And I asked my mom, I was like, mom, like, I'm gonna. I'm thinking about switching majors. What do you What do you think? She said, "Well, as long as you got a plan, then mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want." And so I was like, "All right, cool." So I dropped my like comp side course two weeks in, and switched to sociology and never looked back. Nice. That's a pretty early, I yeah. think, jump to make that decision. So I guess it's good that you kind of knew right away. <laughs> Best believe I was hella stressed though. Let's oh. okay. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. No. Like, yeah, Javon, I remember because like. You and I both, no, both were going through the birth. What what word was that? Jesus. <laughs> you and I both were going through a transition period, like around the same time, like sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to hear, like, you know, um, John talking about how he, uh, how it was like, oh, his parents are like, you know, you got to do like lawyer, engineer, doctor, that kind of stuff in those big money making fields. My mom is also, uh, immigrant uh like she came to the u.s when she was in her college days i believe uh specifically she came for graduate school she finished undergrad over uh in taiwan and everything but uh i had the interesting parallel where my mom was not the kind of person who was forcing those kinds of um careers on me she was kind of just like i don't care what you do but you better be damn good at what you do like all she cared about was the effort less so much the actual like career itself i just happened to be so interested in technology and things like that but i started out in college uh undeclared but trying to go into engineering for uh bioengineering for the sake of doing biomedical Mm. um which is a very far stretch away from the things that i've done now uh eventually i always was interested in psychology I, re- I think I remember one conversation where I actually no, where I was like in middle school or something. I told my mom, I was like, I think when I grow up, I want to be a philosopher thinking that that was psychology. Yeah. <laughs> wow, nice. yeah. <laughs> but so I figured out how I could potentially work in a double major of psychology within engineering. And so I, in my sophomore year declared, um, or not sophomore year, like halfway through my French year, I declared a major in uh, psychology and was still working towards on getting into the engineering school. Mm-hmm. However, um, during that process, it kind of became, it started getting very difficult and something where basically my 
interest kind of shifted away from doing the engineering and I gave computer science a shot in the sense of like I had done it in high school, didn't like it then, decided to give another crack. And at that point, I felt in love with it. And at that moment that I was discovering um, computer science, I at the same time discovered uh, human computer interaction, which is essentially the, um, the crossover between psychology and computer science. So at that point, since I was already a major in psychology as well, I was kind of just like, well, this is, this is <laughs> amazing. This is it. Yeah. yeah this go. is Crossover it. Crossover video games and psych. So, right. so John, did you always love uh, computer science or like development? Um, yeah. So I think, I think it came from a love of math and science in terms of uh, objective topics as opposed to subjective, right? I, gotcha. I was always kind of timid and anytime i was challenged on anything i would kind of quickly shut down to be like okay yeah you know more than me right and especially in any theoretical spaces so what i loved about objective spaces like computer science or math is that there is one and typically typically there's one answer and it doesn't matter how you get there um but you got there and it's 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 a one ones and zeros and it works or it doesn't and so this is, where <laughs> yeah. I, this is where I really thrived, right? It's just be like, yo, uh, you you don't come to, you know, there is no maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I think it could be, you should have done it this way. It's like, no, it gets the job done, right? Like, let's move mm-hmm. on to the next challenge or the next topic. Or, right. you know, so this is what really, uh, this is what I really gravitated towards and was really the software side, right? Like just writing code in a notepad file, making things happen, um, no matter how inelegant or inefficient or how much it makes your computer chug it worked and and then you could optimize so that led me to discover this like oh maybe i want to switch to comp sci from comp engineering because um physics and chemistry and a lot of hardware things were kind of mm-hmm. kicking, kicking my ass so uh, that's fair yeah so one thing off of that that i kind of wanted to wonder a bit was Kind of, again, tying back to the whole, like, you know, the immigrant parent concept of, like, you know, you know you were raised to be, like, let's go for these, like, STEM fields kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? I was kind of well, wondering, because you went into computer science, did you, was it kind of more of a, like, you fell into computer science and then found uh, game development? Or did you go towards um, computer science or computer engineering with the goal of going towards game development? Because... Part of what I'm wondering this, there is like, if you were always going to try to be doing something with games, would you have felt that like the environment and upbringing you had kind of led you more towards wanting to take that more objective kind of the space route to get into that space as opposed to the more like subjective, maybe something like doing like art or level, no, or like those kinds of things like, you know, uh, in games, there's a lot of components such as, you know, the level design, the character design, uh, voice acting, et cetera. Yeah. Like what made you go for the coding parts of it specifically? No, that's a great question, Eric, for sure. I had no concept of what it took to get into games, to make games, or that that was even a profession that was available to me or that would pay the bills, right? Uh, so I went into computer engineering just as being like, hey, this is something that I think I'm good at, right? Like I got kind of the prerequisites and I'm in and 
you know, I, I can, I can maybe flourish. Uh, so in computer science, you know, a couple years in that, that's when I was, if you remember back in the, back in the magazine, gaming magazine days, like game fans, game pros, electronic gaming monthly, yeah. game, game informer, oh Nintendo power that, you know, that's, that was kind of how I stayed in touch with what was going on in the industry. Right. And so the people that I would see in these magazines were typically always Japanese developers, right? There was maybe a few like Carmax and Romero's and things like this that, you know, were kind of superstar one-offs, right? Like unattainable Steve Jobs level kind of thing, right? It's like, oh yeah, this this is this doesn't happen. This is like, yeah, you know. Um, so again, you know, that's that's not a career, but in the back of these magazines, right? Shout out to I think. I think that's when I discovered that DigiPen was a thing. So it's like, hey, we teach you game development or game coding. And again, that was on the other side of the world from a kid in New York City. So, oh, shit. Okay, cool. That's possible. And later on, uh, found out in the same kind of area, right? The, these places know how to advertise back then, right? This was like early 2000s. I came okay. across Full Sail, Full Sail University that was in Orlando. So at least East coast and, you know, me being Dominican, I had a bunch of family down in Orlando, right. Cause it's a short, like one, two hour flight to, to the Island. Uh, so the, the, the stars kind of aligned in that, Oh, I got family down here and they are essentially a specialized computer science degree. I know that I like to code and this is telling me that coding is what it takes to make games. And I did have a roommate who was a few years ahead of me. He was a comp sci major and he had an elective that was game coding. Right. So he super, I think it was like in C, he wrote this very basic side scrolling game, you know, just using sprites gotcha. and basic interactions and things like this. Right. So everything was kind of aligning to spell out to me that hey look the things you have a somewhat an understanding of can be used to build games and to fast forward right I, I took the i went you know had spring break i went to visit the family in orlando i had it on i had a campus tour and it turned out to be everything that i i wanted and more and Sweet. and you know there was a lot of moving parts in the background and begging and pleading and deals <laughs> made with the family to be like, give me one more shot. I'm going to, you know, going to make it happen. I'm going to pay back yeah. these loans and, you know, not going to ask you for any money, but just like support me. And, you know, my aunts and uncles put me up and saved me from paying a bunch of money on rent. And, uh, and I went That's at sweet. it, I went at it head down hardcore it was my full-time job to get through this you know accelerated curriculum that set me up to have those software skills to make games right it was it was like a boot camp essentially right where it was just right. like code 24 7 and we're going to teach you rendering networking gameplay we're going to teach you a little level design we're going to teach you uh some of the narrative design aspects and then and then you're out on your own kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sweet. So um, that's super impressive that you kind of had that, 
I guess, ability to persevere, push through, even despite some of that that pushback to make sure you can follow this perfect alignment of a lot of what you were good at and uh, loved in video games. Um, I know generally you, so you mentioned a little earlier how you really like that dis- the, the ability to, to solve discrete problems and getting like very clear feedback and answer from the game code itself. Can you, uh, will, is the code going to run um, mm-hmm. or is there a problem? Uh, have there been, is, was there anything that was like a surprising, I guess a surprising challenge you didn't maybe expect going from kind of the, these training grounds mm-hmm. to then working with like a huge team on like a project for midway or something or some big large scale production where uh, maybe you wouldn't have expected that to pop up in uh, a game development space? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question, Reza. Like in, uh, in, in Full Sail, right, they try to prepare us as best as possible where, of course, they're going to force us into groups and we have to collaborate with each other, mm-hmm. learn how to, you know, fight for our ideas and try other people's ideas and things like this and that's 100 percent what the real game industry is like right um you're one voice of a hundred and <laughs> yeah. especially in the design space right when if you're lucky enough to be a designer where your voice carries a little bit more weight because you are in control of what the player is going to experience and even then design teams tend to run from you know, 10, 10 to 20 or so. And then you have a creative gotcha. director and a lead who are ultimately, you know, depending on their type, are kind of the guardians of what, what stays and what goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, as you'd imagine, as a noob coming in, when I got into Midway, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I had all my grand ideas and, and the games that I had played and, and things you know, that revolutionize I, how everything works. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh man. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, and it's basically whatever game I played, right. Like at the time, I think when I broke in, this was 2006. So when I broke into Midway in Austin, Texas, I think what was hot was gears of war. I think gears of war had just come out. The 360 had just come out. Oh, nice. Mm. And, and I had, a, I had like ridiculous amount of halo two hours underneath my belt at the time. <laughs> um, so this was kind of what was at the forefront of my mind as to what action games were about and could do more of. Mm-hmm. Um, so in these environments, it was interesting in that on that team because it was, uh, I think, what, seven levels in a very kind of linear style first-person shooter called Black Sight Area 51. Uh and the way we were broken up was that a level would get a mission scripter. That's what, what, I, what I was doing. You would have a level designer. We would have some artists with us. We would have an audio person, an animator. Uh, and coders were putting the, all the key systems in place, right? And we actually had a lot of ownership on 
on that what you call kind of the strike team pod format to oh that's cool yeah mm. to hey these are the mechanics and this is the story of your particular level right by this point you've encountered these beasts and you're one level away right i had the second to last level and you know so basically you have all your weapons available you have all the 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 classes of enemies at your disposal uh-huh. and and it was just kind of setting the player up to just feel empowered to take down everything and proceed to the final the final mission um so as you'd imagine the narrative is already essentially written right like the script is already yeah, written sure. the mm. beats are already mm. there the lines of dialogue i think the lines of dialogue in most of these games those have wiggle room to change but you know a character who's there to be kind of the smart scientist archaeologist and you know then you have kind of your gung-ho um a type personality you know th- those guys are not going to really change much yeah mm-hmm. you know so i'm there to build what i think is interesting compelling content for what the tools that you have available are and and that's kind of been again I guess that's uh, my my roots kind of shining through, right? It's like I tend to dig into the nuts and bolts of making things happen and shying away from the challenge of narrative and character building and things like this, which which is now something mm-hmm. that I'm I'm embracing, right? Like I'm I'm kind of ch- fighting my demons and being like, yo, you know, I've I've seen enough games out there, and I know that there there's way much more room for characters and voices and dialects and backgrounds and ethnicities yeah. than what you typically see in games yeah for sure and i know in uh past interviews and stuff you've done you mentioned how a lot of times in that development process it's a lot about kind of developing for the average of the entire market rather than kind of letting individual voices shine um have have there been i guess if that correct me if i'm wrong in that uh i guess reference but with that in mind have you like found maybe ways to allow yourself to maybe express a very individual point of view or like a certain voice amongst kind of like this overarching middle ground of like trying to speak to that mass consumer no no that's a great question res like i when when I made the jump over to Rockstar, and so this is kind of like, you know, I went from like B tier dev to like triple <laughs> A tier dev, right? Like, <laughs> like, like my odds are none of you guys play Black Sight, <laughs> but odds are pretty good that you guys threw down on some Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. yeah. So, so that, that was uh, a, a, a compelling opportunity because again, when I came on to Red Dead 1, I came on to that bad boy probably a year before it shipped, right? So at that point, again, the the game is kind of locked in, at least the, the the overarching narrative, and it's up to us to just kind of fill in the blanks and and fill in the world and make sure it's fun and cohesive and cut out the fat, right? And 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 again, it was that world was you know very cowboy wild west you know maybe there was there was you do go into mexico and the frontier um and i think they did a decent job 
right? It okay. wasn't too heavy. Mm-hmm. Decent job, like representing all the different cultures for the time, right? Like I think gotcha. if you look at a spaghetti western and how they portrayed anybody who was like not Anglo-Saxon, right? right. I, I think mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. and and to be fair, you you, you know. I'm going to preface this by saying fact check everything I say, right? Because my perspective is my perspective. Right. Uh, but um, Rockstar's games and the writers on those games in particular come at it with a very sarcastic social commentary, right? These are guys that are from Scotland and the UK and their view of, you know, America and how, how we came to be. Right. So mm-hmm. through that lens, right, like there's definitely a lot of opportunity to poke fun at how, you know, we've kind of uprooted natives and taken over and manifest mm-hmm. destiny and all this craziness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that story was powerful because, again, you're an outlaw and you're just trying to hang on. Right. And find your space in a, in a world where the government is organizing and they're throwing FBI at you and they're trying to get rid of all of you. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that was a powerful story. But when I got to Grand Theft Auto, now I felt like, yes, this is my voice. This, I'm, I'm, this is my time because this is the world I'm familiar with, right? Like the the music and, and you know, this is very West Coast, California. Um, yeah. You know, Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, uh, all these types of, of, of backgrounds. And... And a really amazing characters, right? So I see I see a character like Franklin, and I'm I'm immediately drawn to him to be like, all right, he speaks and talks and lives the way that I'm used to my family, friends, and close ones living um and thriving, right? And nice. so yeah. mm-hmm. and so I on 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 that project, we when I say we, you know, it's the San Diego studio, we were given all the open world content, right? So we were not doing the campaign main narrative storyline. We were doing all the side content. And what was really special to me was my father's bread and butter was a private car taxi driver in New York and mm-hmm. Jersey. Right. This is how he oh, made gotcha. he made his money. And I got to work on Franklin, when you buy the taxi cab co, and now you become a <laughs> private car driver, I got to build out all of that content. Wow. That's oh, cool. Wow. It's like literally nice. just drawing from your actual life. One hundred percent, man. And so, so again, it's crazy because again, you. If you ask anybody to be like, hey, what do you want to work on? You know, everybody's going to say, well, odds are people are going to be like, hey, I want to be main campaign, main story. You know, I want to be the boss fights. I want to be whatever is in the critical path for the player. So I can talk about, hey, you played this. I did that, right? But when you get to work on the side content, you have a lot more leniency. And you're not under kind of the magnifying glass of like things that you can and can't say or can and can't do right it's pretty much as long as it's fun doesn't break the game and and resonates right and offers something unique it, it can stick right it can stick i definitely had content cut right like uh i was responsible my my first pitch was like doing vigilante missions right like old school if you remember 
in the old GTAs, you can jump in a police car and then you get a bunch of vigilante missions. I had that. That was cut, right? I had oh. Fight Club type um, gameplay that I was trying to build, right? Ooh, I got to, that sounds fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And and that got cut, right? That didn't even get, get approved. So by the time I got the taxi stuff, this was much more accessible because obviously a lot of our systems are based around getting in a car, driving, picking people up, getting out, shooting people, things like this. And, um, and I got to draw on relationships, friends, stories that my father would share and create characters that captured a little bit of my personal my personal life right and again do as much pay as much honor as i could to my father who you know yeah. was was kind of a big key factor of you know putting pay, uh, paying for my education and helping me get to where i could get to mm-hmm. uh, and it was awesome because the way it was set up was that we would kind of write out a framework and what we call placeholder dialogue uh, for these characters. And then I would work with the lead writer who would come in and then put his, his pen to finalize these characters. And I kid you not, man, like the, the voice that I set that I seated in my head, he really did amazing, an amazing job driving these to, to 11, you know, like, Oh, like, sweet. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll admit that what's there today is not my writing, but it's a pro doing his job, making these guys stand out in the crazy world of GTA. But all these characters are based on pers- people in my life. And and I get to kind of speak through it through the lens of Franklin, right? If, if I was Franklin, mm-hmm. and he's interacting with these characters, right? Like, yeah. What types of things would happen? So... Uh, that was a special thing that I acknowledge is not common for anybody who's not a narrative designer or a writer, mm-hmm. right? That I I will be forever be a special thing that I I carry with me, right? And and not a lot of people know that, not a lot of people have played that side content, but I'm happy yeah. to share it with you guys here. Were you mm-hmm. ever able to share that content with your father? I told I, he was there. We had a long, we had a few conversations over dinner of like, yo, pop, you know, well, I was kind of kind of interviewing him, right? Like, yo, pop, I, I got this, I got this opportunity. I'm building this content. <laughs> nice. You know, what was it like, man? When, you know, where would you be? Who would you pick up? What, you know, what types of shenanigans or things you would, would you get into kind of thing? Um, but I've actually never sat down with him to be like, all right, pop, let's, let's go through this. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I think that could definitely be on the table because thankfully GTA five is still going strong, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So given that, you know, you still have to get your content screened and everything, and given how uh well what kind of game GTA is, uh was was there ever any a time that you like tried to implement something and you know you maybe got a shot down to to like you know, no, were there any kind of like ethical issues you know, with the content or just ethical issues in your game development experience at all in general? Like, so, so it's interesting, man, because I feel like anybody else in my shoes would have had some, you know, it would have been a different outcome, I feel like. And, uh, you know, 
uh, what, what can I say, right? New York City kid, <laughs> we had what? Uh, cable, cable descramblers, right? Like watching oh, yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever, tell you know, any type whatever of R rated content, whatever we could pick up, man. So, and again, mom, mom was happy that I was home. You know, she was happy right. that I was geeking out on comics and playing games and watching TV. Yeah. She was happy that I wasn't out in the street. Mm-hmm. So, I kid, I, I kid with a lot of people, and maybe this is an American thing, right? Because you, you can always make the distinction that uh sex to an american is hardcore but internationally it's no big deal whereas right. violence violence to an american is no big deal right guns and, and death and, sh- and murder but to anybody living in europe or any countries like this it's it's grotesque right and they they right. kind of screen this stuff out so mm-hmm. well, all that to say is when I get to work on a Grand Theft Auto game and, you know, people might have a problem with the body count in that game rising to the top that, you know, that that's that's normal to me, man. Right. I was I was watching these. I was watching Scarface and Casino and Oliver Stone movies mm-hmm. uh, since since I was super young. Right. And this is just, yeah. this is just, just part of the culture. Exactly. It's part of the culture. This is this is what people know. People know to separate the two things right real life from fantasy at least in my from my perspective mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case right i think you guys have also made a comment you guys have also have an episode on it uh talking yeah, about like kind of diving into that connection if it exists or not exactly exactly um but i did get i was also cold designer for uh the sex work in GTA five. And Mm -hmm. to me, I took it as, Oh shit. I get to bring a key feature from Grand Theft from the early Grand Theft autos into five. Right. So to me, that was, it was an honor, right? I'm just like, yes, let let me, (laughs) let me bring this to the next level. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I know, I know about you guys, but when I was coming up and the rumor mill of this game where you can, bring in sex workers or prostitutes into your car and they regenerate your health and then you yeah. can get your money back from them. <laughs> right. right. I remember that. I was just like, the heck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, this is not a thing, right? Like, no way. <laughs> and lo and behold, you know, you see the car balancing and you're like, okay, they're not really doing stuff, but you know what they're alluding to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to bring that up and, and I'm doing that. Day in, day out, man. I'm working on this content. And I had buddies around my cube that were like, yo, there's no way that's going to ship. That's too oh. over the top. You know, that's okay. like too graphic. And and mm. the dialogue that was recorded and animations, right? Like mocap for that. Uh, and they're like, no, no way that's going to ship. And I, you know, I love being a troll in the office for sure, right? Like I would, <laughs> I'd be playing with volume up and stuff like that. Like, you know, I, like, I think it's important in a development environment that everybody knows what's going into the game. Right. And th- this is kind of like uh, how I attract people to come to my cube and be like, Oh, let me play what you got. Or, you know, when I'm walking around and we're buddy checking each other's work, you're like, Oh, snap, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't even know this was in the game. Right. Like that's how <laughs> big these games are. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so to another person, maybe, maybe someone who has a deeper connection with this or, 
can be offended by that. I can totally see that being an ethical thing where it's like, yo, especially today, man. Like I there's articles out there that exist of people admitting that it's like, yeah, I don't think these games could exist in that same form today in this cancel culture oh. time. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Um and even myself, right? Like I'm, you know, I'm probably what almost 10 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in the space where I'm like, yeah, man, you know, I'm trying to bring in kids into the world. And I don't know if I could have done the same content today. And my, and my wife is a big, uh, yeah. is a big speaker on, you know, women's rights and empowerment and sex work and stuff like this. And mm-hmm. so uh, it would, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know if I could have done the same thing, you know, today, knowing what I know and the people that I love and the people that are around me and the type of message that I'm trying to spread. I don't know if I could have done the same thing, but I will say that me at the time, I took it as an honor. I took it as a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. I had a blast. I had a lot of laughs, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, bro. This 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 is prominently featured on my resume to anybody that I interview with. Right? If they can't have a conversation with me about this content, then I probably that's a sign that that's not a place that I want to work at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has that like been an issue before where like you've talked to folks and they're like, oh, you worked on like lap dances or something? And th- have you ever been like judged for having been a part of that? I have for sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. I have. Oh. I have. I have. Um, You know, there's definitely shops that don't make R rated games that are more family friendly. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and and they've kind of scoffed at me. They're like, psh. What 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 design goes into prostitutes? And I'm like, well, let's talk about it, right? And and I break it down for them. I break it down on a whiteboard and I talk to them about the intricacies of animation and dialogue and clipping and having yeah. to get these things to fit in all hundred plus vehicles that are possible in the game. <laughs> oh, um, I didn't think about that. <laughs> bro. Yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> It's something, man. I definitely had to leverage the whole QA team for like a week to be like, all right, guys, I need you guys to plow through all these permutations with all these models across all these vehicles, across many different locations in the massive world that is um, Los Santos. And let me know what doesn't work, what clips, you know. uh, Damn, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it it was great. There was one time I came from lunch playing basketball or something come back and I walk by the QA pit and I see on four different monitors, right? Like four different cars bouncing and different <laughs> women. And I'm like, keep up the good work, man. <laughs> good job. Well done. Good job well done, guys. No, like, and like, I love you. Just like you have to leverage the U18. Cause like, you know, like as a software dev, it's like, you try to break something because you understand. And I say, you're like, ah, that's not going to break. You you hand it off to a, a QA five minutes later. They're like, yeah, I made the whole game die. And I'm like, how? <laughs> How'd you do that? Yeah, 100%, man. Shout out to QA. They are, I know there's, you know, this conversation that I say, hey, they're not really game, de- you know, they're not really developers. And and I'm, I'm a prominent voice advocate of saying without QA, None of this would get as far as it, 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 it possible, you know, for sure. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Because like it, it's it's classic white versus black box texting. Mm-hmm. Yep, one hundred percent, man. One hundred percent. I value their time and help in getting that thing polished. Uh, I will say, yeah, I think 
we did have if you go back right there I, th- I don't know i think there's like three menu options for that particular feature right that you can select from okay pay, pay different amounts of money for and they give you different perks and so we definitely push that menu to to its extreme limits of all the different types of things that you could solicit a person for and mm-hmm. i do remember you know the studio head coming to me and being like yo uh we can't we gotta cut like 10 of these things out right like you can't have any reference to oh wow <laughs> a certain orifice of the body in a video mm-hmm. game for our rating i was like all right no, oh gotcha say no more would do that even though it's like m-rated yeah yeah there's still there's still lines even for an m-rated title uh because yeah because then it moves from m-rated to uh is it ao us doesn't do ao games that much exactly bro so you you go from like you know however many multi-millions of sales and copies to like a niche a niche yeah. fraction mm-hmm. of that yeah Gotcha. I do want to make sure we touch on some of uh, what piqued your interest earlier about kind of the game crunch and what seems to me as an outsider almost an unavoidable phenomenon that I keep hearing about over and over. The idea that like once a game is close to its shipping date, that basically everyone on staff is forced basically to work uh, until their limits. Um do you has that been your experience like all the basically every ship game has like a big period of crunch um yeah so i think i think what i can honestly say about that is on every opportunity i've had on a project to finish it or even beforehand there's times Uh where there's some press demo coming or some xbox live demo or you know, we have a review with the investors or publisher where we spend more time, you know, polishing it up, making sure that it's the best that it can be. And so I'll, sh- I'll share that my experience is I love what I do. And as a designer or developer, you have ownership, right? Where it's like, okay, I know John has worked on these particular points of the game or owns mm-hmm. the AI systems on this game. And so because my name is there, even if it's my immediate team and no one outside that knows, I want to make it the best that I can, right? It, it's very personal to me and it's just yeah. the way that I'm, I'm built, right? Um, so I will definitely be there as much as I can committing the hours that I can to get it as close to perfect as possible. Mm -hmm. So that's always a moving target and it's very self detrimental for sure. And it's much easier when I didn't have a wife or a close significant other waiting for me at home or something Mm -hmm. like this or Mm -hmm. kids or whatever, like I can commit all the time in the world, right? Like I'm happy to sacrifice my health or sleep or whatever, because mm. you know, it's like, it's like anything when you're in the zone. Yeah. And you just, you just have keep... the sole track of mind. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Single track mind. And, and the thing, the crazy thing with games y'all is that it's, it's the more that you put in, the better it gets. And then the better it gets, 
the more you want to put in, right? So it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh shit, you know, we got this new character or we got these new moves or we got this new weapon or the art came back and the level is here or the boss fight is, is, is feeling right. And now you, and you get inspired. That's why game ship dates are such a moving target mm-hmm. because it's the one medium, right? Like movies, movies are kind of time boxed nicely because, you know, they, obviously they have like a century's worth of time, but most often, you know, you have a script, you have storyboards, you know what it's going to be, and then you just got to mm. film it and edit it, right? Everything's, mm-hmm. like, prepared for you ahead of time. Yeah, like, like you know what the movie is going to be well before the actors are casted and you're mm-hmm. filming and mm-hmm. all of this. Um, games, it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite, right? You make some guesses oh. to be like, okay, I want a shooter and a platformer and you know, they're going to swing and these are going to be the characters and you're going to have these types of, you know, you're going to have free flow combat um, and you're going to be in New York. And, uh, and this is kind of the general arc, but as you're building this stuff, you're going to discover, Oh, now we can give them this ability Right. And mm-hmm. uh, and now because he has this ability, why don't we add content that makes him use his like scientific vision or or, yeah. or you kind of get the you get the feeling. Like, oh, wow. You know, you spend like 80 percent of the game fighting and you don't really spend, you know, I'm, and I'm totally alluding to like Spider-Man. Right. So, you know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't spend enough of the time like with Mary Jane or being a scientist. Mm-hmm. And so you start mm-hmm. adding that content after the fact right and so this is how schedules bubble and then <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you know publishers definitely are are part to blame right because they come in with their own requests of like oh yeah now mm-hmm. because of the market research you know like miles morales is super popular so we got to fit him in there too um so then you got to go back to the drawing board and shoehorn in more content that you weren't <laughs> planning for and so it's this spiral of like right you know new content comes in you new designers new people come in new people are owning it you know ideas emerge right to say oh let's combine these gameplay systems and features or um you know it it just it grows it demands more time and there's definitely there is a mental effect of i see my teammates working Mm -hmm. hard oh and you want to kind of live up to the example they're putting out and kind of do them proud to be on your team exactly exactly like kind of almost like a herd mentality where it's kind of like monkey see monkey do where no where it's like it is that yeah it is that Um, if i was the only one in the shop it would be easier for me to be like yo fuck this i'm going home (laughs) you know you know and and that's the thing that kind of uh to be honest like what you said kind of like worries me right like because we were saying like oh is this grind and everything like is it really that common and all that and what we're, we're that's kind of what we're concerned about to a degree and you know what what i heard from you that is kind of just like you're like oh yeah when no when like when i'm in it i'm happy to sacrifice you know my health my sleep i was like you know if you're talking about your time and things like that that's well, that's one thing but it's like i'm hearing like health and sleep like you're kind of in this mentality of like i want to like I, i'm okay with this and to some degree i'm kind of like okay but almost like where is the line on that even mm-hmm. like maybe some sleep every now and then I, I could understand, but it's like, it, it, you just, so, you just sounded so ready. And so, and it sounded just so like, 
instinctual and nonchalant the way, no, the way you came off about it. I, it. I can't help but wonder that, like, you know, that no, with what you said, like everyone's doing that. Be- and because everyone's doing like that, that environment, it's kind of just feeding cyclically to mm-hmm. everyone. It's like, mm. oh, that's just the way it is. And, like I see my teammates doing that. So I want to do that because I do love this job and everything. And then because you do that, other people see you do that. And then it's that herd mentality and it just goes over and over and over. So Eric, do you think there should be like a hard limit, even if like maybe devs feel like they want to eke out more? I think, I think yes, because I mean, like we discussed it, right? Like even if you were having all this like idea and work and everything, like at a certain point, you just become ineffective. And at that point, like, mm. why are you, and my question is kind of like, why are we sacrificing our mental health or, no, mm. or even like uh, our physical health, like now as just as bad? for pretty much net negative results because even john said it, it's uh the deadlines are a moving target right and because that happens i think it's something where it's like something like a moving target sometimes is unavoidable and it's like if you know that's going to be the case i feel like that's bad reflection on management for not being able to you know call things and set a boundary for certain things like i remember reading a quote where and i forget if i mentioned this on a previous podcast but basically overtime is a bad reflection on management because if there's overtime management did not set expectations properly and there's way too much work to be handled that it cannot be realistically done by you know the team or it is a poor reflection on one's self in terms of management because Mm. you are not handling that work in a way and that's in a way what I'm hearing, right? Where it's like, oh, publishers, this and this, that's like upper management, not managing things correctly. But then when you yourself are like letting your content in a way get ahead of you, you're kind of like shooting yourself in the foot by adding so much that you're almost forcing yourself into the position of having to develop that much more. Gotcha. Yeah, I I, I think it's it's definitely a mindset shift, right? Um. I now, as a senior and and a, and a person who is an example, is to push, to challenge my leads to correctly allot the time or to push the schedule out and make the call and catch people that were like me and be like, yo, we can come back to this tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. set those expectations to be like, hey, this is what we can get to in the time that's allotted. And if you want us to get somewhere different, then you got to change the time. Right. Like I I love <laughs> I love telling people to log out, go home, especially <laughs> especially now, especially now. I caught myself. Right. Like, again, this is my is that it's my essence. And so it's hard to to change that. Right. Um, yeah, to want to keep pouring more. Into yeah. It. Um, so now, especially as we work from home, it was too easy. It was too easy <laughs> to like roll out of bed, check an email, change some things, <laughs> yeah. and then you know, next thing you know, it's like okay, dinner. Go to the go have dinner. Oh yeah, let me just go back to the computer and check this one thing, and then change this value, and then play the content, and then oh, it's feeling good, you know. Um, and other people are up, and the nature of any in you know a company that has people across different time zones 
it's even easier, right? Like to to get poked from somebody who's starting their day, but you know it's already like nine p.m. on your side. So, mm-hmm. right. um, to be fair, I'm now on the engine side of things, and that's a much more that's a less chaotic timeline, and I get to kind of lead from the outside in to be like, you know, lo- these are your hours, log off. And, you know, I won't expect you to answer till you're back on kind of thing, um, because it, it's it's been tough, man. I think I've seen a lot more people burn out from working from home than I ever have seen them at the office kind of thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this is quite enlightening. Um, John, have you ever heard of the documentary called Raising Kratos before? Yes. All right. So. For those who don't know, Raising Kratos is basically a video documentary about Santa Monica Studios working on the the latest God of War game, right? Uh, so it's Corey Barlog coming back to God of War and basically starting from scratch, building up this ent- completely entire new, like, technically pantheon <laughs> for, <laughs> for... Literally, I I mean, guess. literally, yes, creating a pantheon, right? for for kratos and in it right you see like the voice actors you, i mean you see the mocap people like it's a it's an amazing insight but being Sorry, also, was Corey the original creator Corey just, Barley, i believe so i think he okay. was, yeah. i just want to get the frame of mm-hmm. and so you know like from a documentarian standpoint you want to interview different people different stakeholders right that are part of the game and there's a part of there where they're interviewing uh, one of the one of the like top game devs in in the space, and the question was, "What are some of the sacrifices that you have done in order to like push like push this game out?" And she like got real quiet and was just like, "Um, I don't want to answer that." Yep. And I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> what, what?" And right, and then it just cuts to like the next scene. I was like, "Yo, yo, no, 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 what was that?" Like. What was that, <laughs> right? I'm I'm big on there are the things that you're saying, and then there are things that you're not saying. You just said something by not saying something. What was <laughs> that, right? And again, like God of War four came out in what circa 2018, right? So it's not that old. And so I'm just like, what? What was that? Like, what are the sacrifices that folks have to to make? And you know, like a larger question is like, were those sacrifices needed to? Uh, to be made right or were there was like elective choices or were they forced by those above them right it's all 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 these interesting questions so john i thank you for your candor in at least expressing that it could be a mixture uh of both and now you're at this particular position in your career where you're just like you can make you can make the call on other people's behalf and not feel as though that they have to do extra labor, right? If they don't, if they don't need to, like things will be okay, or things are always a work in progress, right? And these things will be done if expressed correctly in terms of communication, right? Am, 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 am I is that am I getting like a good sense of that uh, kind of like understanding from you? Yeah, Javon, I think you know I'll I'll, I'll add the 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 grain of salt that. It I I can understand how it can be idealistic, right? Mm-hmm. 
is to say that communication and communicate up and down to set the expectations correctly for like, hey, this is where we are. This is how much time it's going to take. And this is what our velocity is. And make Mm -hmm. sure that everybody up and down the chain are aware. And, you know, the thing is, is that the people that are in management and seniors grew up in that like gung-ho, do or die, get it done by any means necessary kind of thing. And so it's beautiful now that we have a new generation of developer that is asking why and pushing back and being like, you know, no, or why does it have to be this way? Or really with the openness of having the discussions of mental mental health and, and um, psychological impacts and things like mm-hmm. this, Right. Where it's now causing everyone to take a step back and be like, yo, you know, just because that's how we did it doesn't mean that that's the way it's got to always be. And that's where I'm taking my stand on to to make it fair and call out, you know, the the hours being spent and not letting any one particular person overdo it. Uh, and let them know that they don't have to, right? Like, I think you're always going to have an individual that wants to put in more hours and more work. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I think everything should be accounted for. I think the ideal situation, right? Again, mm-hmm. I'm idealistic. This is not the way, but I hope it will be the way, right? Is to you're tracking the amount of time that people are spending on things, and you compensate them back for that, right? Mm-hmm. To be like, okay, right. man, here's the extra time you put in. It either comes to you in the form of overtime pay or it comes to you in the form of time off, right? And what I've always done and the teams that I have thrived, that I've thrived on, right, have always kind of recognized that to be like, hey, man, you know, take this week off, take take these days off nice. uh, kind of situation. Yeah, I really respect you're able to kind of have still hold on to that. An empathize like the empathy of the people that are kind of now coming into that situation. Now they are kind of uh, in a more senior role. Mm-hmm. This is the way. This, this, <laughs> this is, is the way, way man. <laughs> this is the way. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't know. Uh, to be fair, man, I don't know if it's ever gonna, if you're ever going to get it out until right. you know. Because again, it's been so ingrained, and we just naturally passionate people, right? We always say, "Oh, I want a passionate person on my team." And it's because that passion will put the blinders on for all the other things that you're missing or giving mm-hmm. up, right? And so that's why mm-hmm. when people look, I want a passionate person on my team, it's because you know that they will kind of give you a little bit of more blood sweat than than they should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that makes sense. All right. Uh, I guess, are there any final thoughts or takeaways you kind of wanted to share or stories that came up that maybe you think would be good to hear before we wrap things up uh from my side uh yeah or for i mean any of us uh yeah man yeah i really love what you guys are doing i think i think there's so much to learn about the industry and and more information than ever is just becoming more widely accessible and available uh, just with the nature of people streaming and you get to watch gamers do the thing. And I think more mm-hmm. developers are myself included, right? Like 
we've worked our way out of gag orders where we can't say or do or talk about anything mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to to share to share our experiences for the benefit of other people right who can kind of maybe get the one-sided view of like oh it's all glitz and glamour right and it's like no man yeah. it's it's work and um and i want you guys to know to what to stand up for yourselves right and to challenge the status quo and push back and uh and demand you know equality and uh and to know your worth to to understand that if one team or project the developer is demanding more than you're willing to give that there are now there are you know 10 more in their place that are doing things the right way Mm -hmm. or or the better way right like like you mean developer there are more developers now doing it Exactly. To clarify. Okay. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thanks for calling that out. Yeah, man. And and there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of places now. The industry now is letting people work from home. And it's something that I never thought we would ever get to or have the opportunity <laughs> mm-hmm. to do. And I love it, man. And I'm I'm telling everybody and anything, like, don't let go. <laughs> don't don't let them take this away. <laughs> don't from give you. in. <laughs> don't give in. Don't let them convince you that you need to be in the office to do the thing. Like, like it's not true. Uh, we we can at least hold on to hybrid models. I just and, find it interesting that you're working from home because, like, where does the NDA like in the beginning? It's like your bathroom. Is it the kitchen? That's <laughs> like, <walk> here. <laughs> so, uh, so I think to that I can make a note but it's basically just like you don't talk about it and you don't let it get seen mm-hmm. that, that that's really it like if you can create that sort of barrier it's kind of like you can just kind of move it around wherever yeah yeah pretty much i guess that works <laughs> awesome hey first john thank you so much for sharing your insights and your thoughts i think this is for the the betterment of lots of folks you know game developers people who want to get into game development, game studies folks, so games researchers in particularly, who don't have that on-hands experience or connection with anyone in these development spaces. So all their knowledge comes from like these other, you know, source materials. Uh, So I thank you for that. I think what I would like to hear from you are just ways in which to actually manage all of this, right? Yeah, that's a good one, man. And I'm glad you asked that, Javon. I have a a podcast that's catered to game developers one-on-one being candid about their journey, their story. Uh, It's called Out of Play Area. And so you can get more insight on straight from the words of other developers, right? Not just mine. Um, So is that like just we could Google that or is it like a specific channel? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So if you're listening to My Gaming Academia and you have this (laughs) followed on your podcast, you should... In the same place that you find My Gaming Academia, you should look for Out of Play Area, and you should make sure you get a hearty dose of both of those podcasts uh, as you're looking to learn more about game development and everything in this industry. Sweet. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, I've been in it. I've been in it since 2006, and I'm finally getting to a point realizing that I need to start leaving breadcrumbs for the next generation and sharing my experiences for them to learn from my mistakes that all, of which I made hundreds, right? I'm, I consider myself lucky to still be in the industry um, doing the thing. And yeah, Javon, when you ask about sustainability, 
it's definitely a learning process. I I tell people that I was led into games because I wanted to work on a Grand Theft Auto, right? Like, Mm. or I wanted to work on a Halo. Um, And, and it was, it was, that's what I needed. And I would do whatever it took to get there. And what you find is after you ship your dream game and you realize all the work it takes to get there, what I've now latched onto is it's about the people that you work with and develop mm. with. And, and that's now where I hang my hat is that I want to go to the place that has the culture that takes care of its talent and fosters ways for them to grow. Right. So I now have managers that I meet with regularly one on one that we're always constantly having conversations about how's my workload? What am I excited about? What sucks? What could be better? Um, How am I going to get to the next level? What are opportunities that I want to take advantage of? And maybe it's a change of position, right? Maybe I go work on a different project, right? So we're always having that two-way conversation and that's super helpful, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that I didn't have in previous places that I worked at. And I find that that makes a huge difference in being candid. And also it's called managing your manager, right? Like it's not just you taking your manager's marching orders and making sure you do the thing they need you to do. It's you telling your manager what you need from them to do the best job you can do as well as sustain in your personal life, right? It's called work-life balance. And a big half of that, lands on you i would say actually let me just go full tilt and say 100 percent of your work-life balance is your responsibility it's no one else's mm. so a team a project a manager will take everything that you want to give right i now have awesome ones that push back and be like john i see you logged on get out of here <laughs> or hey i saw you put in a bunch of time <laughs> nice. you know take the friday off or whatever right mm-hmm. so sweet so it's up to you to put your foot down and be upfront, man, and be like, hey, I need some time off or I got family issues and, and, and have that conversation. And I guarantee you that it's a flexible thing that there can always be room to nudge things around and move things around or, you know, again, develop those relationships where I'm sure we all got a bunch of work, but odds are you have a teammate that can pick up a few things in your absence and then you sure. can kind of return the favor whenever you come back, right? Don't let anybody ever tell you that, like, the game project's going to blow up in your absence, right? Because that's just a manipulation a manipulation tactic. Gotcha. Or mm. I think what about Value saying, yourself. <laughs> yeah, value yourself, man. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Mythic Quest. And so I saw one episode where it's like, oh, you mean inspired? And it's like, no, no, no. You mean emotionally manipulated, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, nice. Right? But I'm very passionate about this stuff, right? Because I just kind of discovered it for myself and my sanity mm-hmm. in the past handful of years. But it makes such a difference, man. Like, it's it was too easy for me living in sunny California to be kind of locked in an office, missing all the sunlight. And now that I live in Seattle or I've lived in Montreal where we have seasons that allows you to go through these natural cycles of like, okay, it's winter and it's nighttime at like 4.30 p.m., I'm okay to kind of work later um, or play more games. Mm-hmm. But then when it's spring, summertime, where it's more sunlight outside, it's like, all right, man, I'm going to work my, my, 
my minimum hours, but then I'm going to get out there, you know, and like see if you can catch the beach. Yeah, man. And enjoy life. And it's so helpful to have family, friends, a dog, right? He keeps me honest and barks at me to be like, yo, time to go outside and <laughs> oh, walk. That's good. And, and that's just the best, man. I know any of you guys that do any type of knowledge work or problem solving or when you're writing, there's so much value when you step away from the thing that you're staring at. Mm-hmm. And just like go for a walk mm-hmm. or do oh, something nice. different, you know what I'm saying? And then you get mm-hmm. that aha moment when you come back to it with a fresh set of eyes to be like, oh, yeah, this is it, right? So that goes to the whole working smarter, not harder thing, right? Like, yeah, you can stare at a screen for 10 hours, or you can kind of like take a nice break or a midday nap or something, go for a walk, go play ball or something, come back to it with a fresh set of eyes. And I guarantee you, you will make some traction on there. That's awesome, yeah, man. Anyways, yeah, thanks for hopping on. Uh, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in. Even though this is, might be a bit of a longer episode compared to the usual, I think this has been an, an amazing conversation. So uh, thanks, John. Thank you, Rez. Thank you, Javon. Thank you, Eric, man. Awesome. So again, I'm Reza, a.k.a. Sprint Speed. I'm Javon, a.k.a. J. Stoney. I'm Eric, a.k.a. Hysteric. And I'm John, a.k.a. L. Kingpin. nice thanks everyone for tuning in have a good day bye